When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Relatively Healthy is brought to you by the Forever Dog Podcast Network. Be sure to check out more original comedy podcasts at foreverdogpodcast.com. Welcome to the Relatively Healthy Podcast. I'm Janie Stoller. I'm Dr. Ellen Stoller. Uh, And so on this show, what we do is we debunk health myths and we talk to experts in the field and people who have experienced healthcare. And then we deal with your questions. So I'm just going to remind everyone up top, if you have a medical health sex relationship question, call us at 1-844-STOLARX, S-T-O-L-A-R-X, and leave a voicemail. And we'll talk about your issue on air, right? Okay, so our guest today is very exciting. We have a VA pharmacist named Kevin, who is otherwise going to remain anonymous. <laughs> but we're very excited to have you here, Kevin. Excited to be here. Great. Thank you for having me. It's so exciting. <laughs> so we're going to start things off uh, with a debunk, where we're going to talk about a commonly believed myth, and Ellen's going to Tear it apart. All right. uh, so this week's is that you lose 40% of your body th- heat through your head. So like a lot of people will say you always have to wear a hat because all of your body heat gets lost through your head. Yeah. So rip it apart, Ellen. So, you know, the, it's not as though, oh, your head versus your kneecap, that there's something special about your scalp that causes it to lose heat at a faster rate. It's just that if you think about like surface area skin wise, you're... The, your scalp and your head takes up a decent amount of skin surface area. So that's really the biggest reason why people Got it. It's think just they lose. a lot of skin. Yeah. And also, I would also argue if you're going outside and it's cold, you're probably already wearing a coat and pants. You don't know. That's true. Um, great. So <laughs> what, if, what if you're a hothead, though? What if you're a hothead? Is that a medical term? Yes, that is a oh. medical. That's exactly a medical term. In which case, maybe you don't even need a hat if your head's already hot. What if you're bald? You, you think- just have a really big ego and a really big cranium. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then you're just a constant. would be a lot larger. Yeah. That's true. That's true. Because you have way- all these big dreams. The big dreams. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> Kevin, you are an ER pharmacist. What does your job entail? What do you do every day? Uh, yeah. So, I'm... I'm My job is, um, I like to refer to it as kind of like a a jack of all pharmacy trades. Um, We, I do not work in a trauma center, so we're not getting the most severe patients in our ER. Um, But I serve as, of course, as someone that I, I feel is to make the life of the ER easier for physicians and for nursing. That's what I've justified it as. And to, of course, uh, fill in any gaps when it comes to veterans obtaining their medications at the end. And then also uh, relaying and communicating uh, admissions of veterans to inpatient pharmacy and uh, the so-called teams. Um, So yeah, being a resource for physicians if needed, um, being a resource for nursing if needed and being a resource for uh, the patients and the veterans that are there. Got it. And why did you go into this field of all the health-related fields? In pharmacy? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think, in all honesty, I was really always into science. Uh, growing up, I was always that uh, really into the outdoors and really got thought that my strong point was science. Did a bachelor's in biology, uh, trying to find oneself that I think probably many physicians and pharmacists and nurses would agree with. Um, I was the first person in my family to, to go into science and to not do 
business or, or, um, or engineering. Um, so I, I stuck with it. I wound up working in a lab for a while actually in uh, uh, biochemistry and immunology and a little molecular biology. And then had to make a, a choice to go forward. Didn't really want to do a PhD. Uh, didn't really see myself being in a lab my whole life. Really enjoyed helping people. I was always volunteering when I was in high school, helping out at uh, community centers and uh, nursing homes. And uh, of course, considered med school. Wasn't sure if I had the the, the big enough brain to do it. Uh, wasn't sure if I wa- also wanted to have somewhat of a life if possible. Uh, so a combination of not having the, the, the best accolades and grades with being a little more realistic of my capabilities. I had a, a family friend who that I grew up with whose mom was a clinical pharmacist uh, at a university. And I spent some time shadowing her in addition to shadowing physicians and uh, nurse practitioners. And I thought, you know what, I really... I could see myself doing this. So I never saw myself being like a retail pharmacist, not to uh, put that down, but I saw myself uh, taking kind of that role that she had. She was really kind of my inspiration and kind of like showed me the way, so to speak, uh, of what I could do with my degree and go forward. Cool. And what do you think, like when people hear what you do, do they have certain misconceptions about your job or assumptions about what you do? Like what, what a pharmacist job actually entails. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, pharmacists are, I mean, there's usually a lot of, I think, I think traditionally everyone in society is like, Oh, pharmacist, like you make, you make a lot of money. Work nine to five. Uh, you know, I think that's kind of the societal viewpoint for people that aren't in healthcare. And I think maybe even sometimes in healthcare is like, what's the, what's the pharmacist doing here? Like, like, <laughs> just, just like in a room on a computer. Um, I think the, the profession has definitely advanced a long, really far from that. It's gone a long way from, uh, the pharmacist in it and it's a wonderful life. That's the, uh, the closet compounding community person. And, um, that that's really more trying to integrate themselves into, you know, the whole healthcare, healthcare realm. Uh, so I think, I think as in any field, people have a predisposition, they, they have, they have an idea of what you do because they've never done it. Um, so it depends who you talk to. Uh, someone that's in nursing or it's a physician would probably have a different uh, viewpoint on what we do. But yeah, we're, we're kind of like some, uh, some of us, I would say like sometimes we're kind of referred to like, a, like almost like the accountants of the business world, mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. like enforcing the rules a little bit. And we're definitely usually a lot of type A personalities that strive for perfection, mm-hmm. which is, very difficult. <laughs> so. No, but there's definitely not one physician out there who has not had a pharmacist like save their ass a time or two where either you don't know how to dose a medicine or you're not quite sure which medication to use or you just completely misheard what somebody had told you and it's the pharmacist's job to verify and recheck over every medication order that anybody uh, puts yeah. into a computer. It's that last, that's kind of that last line of, uh, of just defense, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So, um, why the, you know, while it's not invasive and it's not as hands-on, um, it still has a role. And I think, uh, I mean, I think specifically at the VA, they, they've really kind of, they've been very progressive with their role and trying to, to do more good things for patient care at the end of the day. And you'd and, had a, a job previously where you were spending more time counseling mostly individual patients on medications. What made you decide to switch over into the ER? Uh, yeah, so I, I, I did a residency that was inpatient focused. Um, I wanted to be in the VA in all honesty, because not, not just because it's a government job. Um, I had a rotation with, uh, with veterans and it just like, it just congealed for me. Like I just felt like this is who I really want to take care of. And in all honesty, I, I tried myself to be in the armed forces, but couldn't due to a medical condition. And like, and it was difficult and wasn't sure which route to choose. So the VA was kind of like my way to, to kind of serve too in that manner. That's cool. Um, and, and because the attraction of, for our profession, uh, 
for, for pharmacists, the VA is, like I said earlier, is, is very progressive. Mm-hmm. So we get to do a lot more, uh, and a lot of my colleagues get to do many more things that the private sector does not allow. Yeah. Um, so that, that part was like, well, why wouldn't you want to be on the, the front line of progression? I mean, at least in my own experience working in primary care at a VA, I mean, the, you know, for a lot of chronic medical conditions, the patients in between their like three to six months checkups with the doctor, we're seeing the pharmacist once a month for checkups on like diabetes and yeah. uh, blood pressure. What's the drug you prescribe the most where it's like, ugh, like insulin again? <laughs> the one you're like, oh, another day. Well, I don't think it's usually that, like, so and to answer your question <laughs> earlier too, I, I was in the outpatient setting with the hopes of progressing into something else. So when the ER position opened up, uh, even though it was kind of crappy hours, I lunged for it mm. um, because that, that was my, that was my goal. I waited very patiently for that opportunity <laughs> to occur, but I can't tell you how awesome it's been. Anyway, so the, the drug that that you get the most. I mean, that depends. Obviously, uh, you know, pain medications would, mm. in terms of opiates, would be up there because it's a very and it's hard. It's hard for the physician. It's hard to take a stance. It's it's hard for a veteran population uh, as well when you're going to have somebody you know say, hey, you know, I'm a veteran and you're not going to give me you know my pain medication. That's that's a whole that's a difficult stance to take. So you really have to have your your arsenal of backing of like, well, hey, drug does this, but you really need physical therapy. You really need um, all these other things that are going to help with reducing your pain, not just giving you a bunch of hydrocodone. Mm-hmm. And of course, there are those patients that, of course, are, have cancer or more severe disease states that the pain medications are there. But I think the VA has come a long way in a short amount of time of of reducing uh, opiate prescriptions. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you'll see a you'll probably see something soon in the next year. The VA has really come a long way. That's uh, cool. Mm-hmm. Our institution has where we're having that conversation. We're enrolling people in pain clinic. Uh, we're, we're holding them accountable as well. And we're not just, you know, uh, dispensing those, but you're a physician and you're in a closed room and you have someone yelling at you, screaming that they're in pain <laughs> for you to do. I, I don't know. But as a, as the pharmacist, I think that that was always the, like the most like nerve wracking thing that, and of course Viagra. Uh, you know, oh yeah. Like how often are oh you getting requests God. for that? That's a conversation I'm not sure. Well, <laughs> no, well, well, because especially because, you know, b- people can either the way that it works, but don't you work in an emergency room? Well, no, but th- so, but, so, so in the emergency room, those yeah. are not mine. Yeah. Those are not anymore. My, Listen, are I not got it. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. I mean, uh, in the emergency room, but I'm still dealing with like, uh, medications that the, the, the veteran is going home with too. Um, so we still have like these short, brief, you know, um, like I think when I see somebody that has a little bit of a backache and they get dispensed 10 milligrams of hydrocodone and then, a, you know, a quantity of 10 or 20 plus, you know, 10 or 20 diazepams, I'm like, really? Is this, mm. is this the road we want to go down <laughs> for this chronic pain? Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh. As I, so I don't deal with the Viagra. Oh, no, but no. What about it, Cialis? Oh, no, but in, in, look, when Kevin and I both worked in outpatient medicine at the same time, and we, he would get a lot of Viagra requests. It well, what be, about Cialis? No? Oh, yes. no, well, so, so, so Cialis is, so, you know, the, the VA, and Kevin can speak more to this than I can, is cheap. So they'll have, like, one option for each Do they do generics? Of, of course. Right. And then for, like, a Viagra, I know for a long time it was, like, they had Levitra only. What's and then the they antidepressant? Switched. Oh, this is a fun game. Like, if I said... <laughs> Oh, the, a oh, drug category. Oh, just like make Kevin tell us what the formulary agent is. Yeah, like what's category. the what's the go to here? Yeah. <laughs> but so yeah, yeah. So that's that's the part that's kind of I I think Ellen and I would probably uh, I don't know if we would totally agree. Like, but the VA has a formulary. They have a national formulary, and a formulary is essentially a list of drugs that is your go to. Kind of what you're describing right now. Like, oh, you have this condition. Okay, then drug X is going to be our go-to. That doesn't mean you have to be on that. If it's not working for you, then you can switch to you know drug Y, and then if that's not working for you, then drug Z, and, and, and etc. It may require some approval processes, um, you know. But um, yeah, I I kind of like 
the formulary. I think it's a very, like compared to the private sector, I feel the formulary, there's a lot of really smart people that includes all the healthcare professions that are deciding what they want to have on the formulary. And it's not just price. It's, it is based on efficacy as well. And, uh, I think that that part's kind of cool, but I think it's kind of frustrating for physicians because they can't just choose what they want. I mean, I kind of liked it sometimes because patients would come in asking for specific, just random things they had seen a commercial about. Well, the magazine always says the right. thing. <laughs> like right. You should go in and ask. And so it would be nice at the VA where somebody would be like, oh, I saw an ad for this. And so you'd be like, well, why do you think you have this condition? And then even if you do, you know, it it kind of took the weight off my shoulders to say, well, actually the VA rules are you have to try this, 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 and this first. Right. And if and, but, and like Kevin is saying, right, if someone tried a medication and they had a really bad reaction or if, you know, their provider thinks that there really would be a good reason why like a second or third line drug would be better, you're welcome to prescribe it. You just have to kind of but justify it. But Ellen, what it. percent of people are asking for Viagra? Like it's high. Oh, all of them. Yeah. Everyone. It's 100%, yeah, no, right? But, no, so they're, oh, so, but no, I will say, so this was probably in like the late 90s. It was very controversial whether or not the VA was going to cover erectile dysfunction medications mm. or not. Because mm-hmm. as you can imagine, taxpayers were like, well, it's like boner pills. But that's a new thing coming up in the Affordable Care right. appeal that it's like, oh, they would still like consider yeah. that a condition they cover. But then veterans so. were like, we're mad. We want our boner pills. They want their boner pills. Covered. So ultimately, but oh no, but the big drama is you only get like four doses a month. Oh. Yeah. That is, so you can get... So as you can imagine, the patients are, I mean, Kevin had to deal with people who always wanted early refills on that. Mm. Are people coming to the ER for early refills on their uh, erectile dysfunction medications or have, have they managed to put the kibosh on that? Actually, no, fortunately, it's, it's, <laughs> uh, it actually hasn't happened once. Oh. Since there. uh, there's kind of a, you know, unknown. It's really been directed back to the primary physicians. Uh-huh. Um, and it's, it's really been, it's been contained. You know, I think. <laughs> Here's the di- well. Here's the here's the thing. Like, you know, the VA the VA is granted a budget. You're granted a budget, and then every institution, every visit is granted a budget. And so, the ethics of like how you're going to spend your money right. changes. It's not so much like we're uh, we're not you know we're not empathetic towards ED erectile dysfunction, not That's the emergency. Funny. Um, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> But if we have an opportunity to, you know, spend money to, you know, uh, for for all these oncology medicines, True. Right. or for somebody that has this rare form of cancer, right. or for somebody to transplant, we have an opportunity to spend money on that, or for Hep C. I mean, mm-hmm. that was a, obviously a big, big thing that even the secretary of the DA had to kind of like tell the Senate, like, uh. yo, I need to like shift my money around. So that we can treat all of our veterans, because you capped us out at this budget, and right. we can only spend this much. So it's 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 like a whole other way of thinking, Makes rather sense. than yeah. being profit driven. So mm-hmm. I kind of like I, I'm intrigued by that. So that's why there is like yes, we're going to give you Viagra, but you're only going to get four doses. Oh, um, but what you but, do but, with that? And personally, I think I've never gotten more than four times a month. So I'm you know. <laughs> That seems like that. I, I, I guess the, the other thing is so that patients would come in and they would be mad and I would say, fine, how many? Because, you know, I could also write patients for private sector prescriptions that they could then pay out of pocket and just um, take to Walgreens for something. Right, like, you no, want it free? Well, no, then well, and, and so then I would tell the patients, well, like, how many pills and how many refills do you want? And they're like, I want 100 pills and I want 99 refills. And, you know, in my head, I was always like, you know what, let me call your wife. Why don't I ask your wife how many Viagras you should have? Because she is the one who's really going to bear the burden of this prescription. That's true. Yeah, let's consult the, yeah, the-, the person who's really going to be on the receiving end of these Viagra. She's like, how many did you get? Fuck. <laughs> um, so you must know like all the drugs. If we named a drug, not I don't have one ready. This isn't like a game. But if I named a drug, would you like just probably know what it is? Or would you have to look it up? I, I mean, go ahead and shoot. Like, name a drug, Alan. Say, oh, you, you know what? I don't know it. I will look it up. Yeah. But there are definitely so many drugs that I do Like, not do you think you know like thousands of drugs? Uh, I, I definitely so I'm very like humble. I, I know that I have a pretty small cranium. Um, <laughs> thousand would be no. Okay. Probably a couple hundred. Cool. Maybe. 
That's cool. Two or three hundred, but uh, like, and Ellen would kind of attest to this. You know, I, I since we do have kind of a a, a very and we have a good formulary, a powerful formulary list of drugs. Mm-hmm. Pretty much have been stuck to that for a long time. And she's if she Googles something and oh, brand names, I totally suck oh, at. Oh, no, because no, it was a nice thing about the VA is they only a generic everything. So, mm. you know, a bunch, there'll be a bunch of different fancy uh, trade names for something that, yeah, I would never know. It would have been fun if we set up a Watch What Happens Lifestyle game right now. It was like... I just named, made, let me see here. Yeah. Uh, so I will say yeah. this, though. Like... Um, if you want to call yourself a drug expert, um, you sh- you better know all the drugs. Uh, so sometimes, true. like, you know, that's sometimes that's the only thing I, my profession. There are way smarter people than me that are in the profession, without a doubt, um, and know way more. But sometimes I've seen you know, people. You, how are you going to have that conversation with a family member or a physician if you don't know what the drug really is? Uh, true. So, Oh, here we go. So these were all the ones that I had to look up um, because I had a patient recently diagnosed with metastatic melanoma. So there's all these relatively new, very expensive, very fancy drugs called checkpoint inhibitors. So I had to Google pembrolizumab because that is never. Well, first of all, it's it's a monoclonal antibody. Yes. Uh, Yeah. What? Yeah. Oh, because it ends in like umab. What's um? Okay, so break that down. What's umab? It's actually so. So there's sometimes there's cute little cues in the drug name um, that will tell you what it is in terms of like either structure or class. Sometimes uh, in terms of like biologics that your sister's talking about, any type of antibody always ends in M, lowercase M A B, and that's an abbreviation for monoclonal antibody. Oh, I didn't wow. know that either. The more you know. Yeah. Wow. Uh-huh. If it's an actual monoclonal antibody. I mean, there's other forms of biologics like TNF alpha inhibitors yeah. and all those. So th- uh, this is a checkpoint inhibitor, but I don't honestly, because it's not my job to know the mechanism of action. That's Kevin's job. That's why he's there. But I guess the other point, too, you know, to what Kevin was talking about is that people don't realize that oftentimes pharmacists, one, they can do residencies and they can specialize in particular areas of medicine, uh, too. So like yeah. the person who's checking these chemo orders ideally would be like an oncology hmm. pharmacist. You know, there's cardiology. Yes. I yes. see Yeah. Huh. I mean, yes. and that's and that's, yeah. that's yeah thank you for because that's yeah. that's kind of where the profession's gone and we have now exactly so we have people that dedicate themselves just to oncology and they serve as that research for the oncologists uh they get you know certain they do residencies now it's it's not the equivalent of a physician's residency by any means but at least they take you know usually a year sometimes maybe two years to specialize in that area and then there's certain national certifications that they can get so yeah, the, we have oncology pharmacists, and that's all they do is they work with the oncology physicians and nurses and just get all the chemo ready. And uh, so that so that's the whole thing. Like if you, yeah, yeah. So guess, luckily, you don't even have to know. Even as the pharmacist, you just need to know which other pharmacist to gotcha. uh, consult gotcha. with on a lot yeah, of I these mean, matters. I mean, it's kind of no, but I mean, like this is exactly what I do all day. Person. Yeah, yeah. You defer. Yeah. I, I mean, unless somebody came in with like a, a chemo pump. Right. And won't know like did they get uh, they get an overdose? Was their pump messed up while they're at home? And they come in the ED. Then I would I would look it up and the doctor would be like, yeah, the patient's on Kuzgavadish. Like, <laughs> okay, that's cool. I, I I have no problem saying I don't know what that is. Right. Let's you know figure it out. I mean that I thought that was that's just kind of how you should work. Because yeah. you're dealing with people's lives, you shouldn't say, "Oh no, I, I know what that is." There's yeah. no time to like. I'm not embarrassed <laughs> if I don't know something. Put it at that. And I work with doctors all day, and they know a ton of stuff. And nurses know a ton of stuff that I don't. So yeah. being humble is definitely. Yeah, but you didn't. You should have had a character in ER, and it's, it's you know. Oh no, you're right. I, that's Jenny brings up a good point. There was never a pharmacist. Never on a pharmacist. ER. They covered no. the nurses. They covered the techs. They covered the physicians. Yeah. Extensively, there was never a pharmacist on that show. It's wrong. So it's, gonna... it's, it's super fun. I mean, for like for a pharmacy gig, like it's awesome. Like I get to watch so much cool stuff that. Well, no, because didn't, didn't you say that you were involved in in a physical altercation of some sort? What? That that may have happened <laughs> allegedly. Okay, allegedly. allegedly. No, wait. It sounds like you instigated it by <laughs> saying allegedly. <laughs> 
I mean, so yeah, no, we no. I mean, there there was there was a, an altercation. There was a a patient that um, was kind of lingering. I don't know the entire psychology of this patient, but there are definitely some some veterans that come to the VA and they they're seeing red. Um, and we do have a police force there that's that's awesome. I don't know how, but they're not always there. So yeah, there was an incident where uh, a guy that was on that had a sitter watching his room like they called a one-to-one or a sitter that's like a guard oh no so a a sitter is basically like they're it's like a usually like a nurse tech like a cna someone who is basically like provides like you know helps patients out but they're not they're not security trained it's just someone who's there to basically help make sure the person doesn't hurt themselves or doesn't try and get out of bed when they're not supposed to so but they don't have security training designated like high risk for Mm -hmm. either right for either hurting themselves or hurting other people. Uh, but this guy uh, got up and punched the sitter in the side of the head. What? And then, um, actually uh, pushed a nurse down to the ground and was threatening to hit and was kind of throwing other things and threatening to hit uh, our attending physician. And I may have just run up and subdued <laughs> veteran damn uh on the ground well but you know without not 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 like hitting that person but just subduing and um unfortunately did come later but in those situations yeah i mean that 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 happens in every er it doesn't matter if it's veterans or not if you have patients that are psychotic or they're on drugs like act and there's there's articles talking about like abuse um, with mm. with ER staff, so I think it was totally justified. That the veteran and I are are close friends today. <laughs> he's actually in the oh. background. He's actually in your home right now. We just can't uh, see him. He, yeah. he's, he's the one. He's, so there was no like there was no physical damage, but the the uh, the technician uh, the tech that he punched in the head definitely lost a, a week and a half of work. So um, I think those are just that's justified justified thing. Uh, I think in any, every ED has got a story to tell about patients that are just seeing red. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. All right. So anyway, yeah, that's definitely a, a glorification story for a pharmacist. And that goes well beyond what, um, what, uh, Jerry Seinfeld has talked about in his standup about <laughs> the guy behind the counter. So I felt All proud right. of myself. Yeah. Yeah. That must've been a damaging moment. Because his whole bit was it was just like literally separating pills. Like this, yeah. This, yeah. This arrogance. And, and the pharmacist is usually portrayed in that way, like a closet, a closet drug user mm. or like just kind of a like a hemorrhoid almost. It's just <laughs> annoying. Just give me my stuff. Uh, why are you talking to me about this? Why do I have to pay for this? Uh, why are you paging me? Why are you calling <laughs> me? So I think so, so that's that's kind of part of the role, but but there's much more. You're reality. like the cool pharmacist. You're undoing it by be, yeah. I try by, to be the uh, yeah the bad boy. The bad boy <laughs> of pharmacy over here. Yeah, I can totally I see to that. That's great. Yeah, I'm proud of that. That's great. Well, we're gonna take a quick break. We'll be right back. If you like what you're hearing, don't forget to subscribe to Relatively Healthy on iTunes. Give us a five star rating and write us a review. All right, we're back with the bad boy of pharmacy, Kevin. <laughs> and make that name stick. You're going to have to get like a new name tag or something. What a t-shirt. Yeah, yeah. a t-shirt's pretty cool. Yeah. I could see you walking to the hospital with that. Oh, speaking of t-shirts, I guess I had a quick uh, question. What is life like at the VA under this new administration? With the new quote-unquote president. Because when I, I will tell you, when I used to work at the VA... It was like so much Obama pride. Like it was weird. Everyone, and it was Chicago. It was like a lot yeah, of reasons. Everyone was excited that like he was the president. Oh, the patients were wearing swag. I'd compliment their hats. I'd compliment their T-shirts. Like we were all on the same page. Is it awkward that they had to change the poster, the giant poster in the entrance when you walk in? Um, you know, I'll, I'll leave that one to like how people... I don't know. Has the, has the atmosphere at our VA changed because of it? Not really. I mean, the part that is cool, um, despite all the controversy around, you know, the, the president, the, the VA secretary is been, I think it was, it was a hundred, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was a, a full hundred percent 
vote of confidence bipartisan mm. to have uh, Shulkin as the new secretary. Mm. So, and I think the secretary prior to him was um, Secretary McDonald was was really cool. And I I think the secretary prior to McDonald, who was um, why am I forgetting his name? Uh, we will look it up and put it in later. I feel bad that I don't remember. <laughs> we'll look it up and put it in later. It'll yeah. just be a little yeah. audio drop. Yeah. He was a pretty um, respectable person. And I think the new, the new VAs. And so yeah, I, I think, I think the atmosphere is more, I think people were, were kind of scared initially. Uh, I think there was like almost an element of fear. Um, I think, in all fairness, there's been some call to question. Uh, they just had this release last week of a VA whistleblower employee act where difficult employees within the VA system are now going to be kind of like exposed publicly. Oh. Not so much that cool. their names are going to be surfaced, but it's going to be like, hey, so-and-so from the Vizen mm. is getting suspended. They've been, you know, mm. uh, any suspension lasting more than 14 days. I do think that's progressive word and I, so i so i don't know that's really all i've heard is that i think there's been a the focus has been more of like a no nonsense mm -hmm. thing i think the va has had issues in spending and i think it's difficult with every every government organization when you have a budget approved how you can appropriate things you can't just shift them yeah how change um so i think the va problems um, and I, I, it's well beyond my pay grade, but I think the problems within the VA wouldn't really matter um, who is president or who is not. But um, get that nice photo. I though. think there's a, yeah. there's a mix. There's a mixture with veterans too. Like there's some veterans that are very conservative and are more right, and there are veterans that are more left too. So I mean, it's. I mean, I, I mean, I guess because people kind of trained at work to not say anything. Yeah. Either way. Oh no! Just because so many of the patients, I felt like wore Obama swag. Are people wearing like "Make America Great Again" hats? Are people like sporting yeah. Trump swag? Well, well, every VA is different in terms of like true, right? And what the patient population is. Yeah, you could be in a city that's known for being very liberal, right? And which is most urban centers, and that's you know, and then also it depends on the patient demographics, which could like be. Totally different. No, you're right. If 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 uh, it, ten right. mile radius, or right? Fifteen mile radius. Yeah. So, no, no. I would say though that <laughs> you haven't seen any Make America Great Again hands. Yeah. There's, there's not a fondness. There's not the same. <laughs> yeah. To be fair, there there is not the same um, level of respect. Got it. Uh, that there was for former President Obama, mm -hmm. without sense. a doubt. There's yeah. That, but there's yeah. Got it. it makes sense. Yeah. So now we're going to answer some uh, listener submitted questions. And just a reminder, if you have a question or if you want us to talk about any topic at all, give us a call at one eight four four stolar STOLARX and leave a voicemail and we'll talk about it on a future episode. It's all anonymous. And as you'll see from the following questions, anything is on the table. <laughs> um, don't overthink it. Uh, we're here to help. Mm -hmm. So the first question is, I have trouble pooping. Please weigh in on the Squatty Potty. And so for those who don't know, the Squatty Potty was a Shark Tank invention. It was originally a Shark Tank, right? No, it was. Squatty Potty has been around for years before no. Shark Tank. Yeah. Because and I what had, did Lori invest in? Like, what am I talking about? I had about? heard about this device like three was or four years Squatty prior. But Squatty Potty TM a Shark Tank I, moment? I don't think it was TM. I think it was just regular. All right. Well, let me have this. So it's basically like a bench that you put your feet on for when you go to the bathroom. And in theory, and I remember Lori talking about this, You, it puts your intestines in a position where you're better suited to easily poo without straining. So what's the deal? I don't, you know, I, it doesn't translate on the radio when oh, you just shrug. You literally just shrug. I, I do like a shrug emoji face. I mean, was I've heard. John, was John Crapper full of shit? I mean, oh. isn't that the whole thing? What? Th th that, that's who invented the toilet. What? I know. Yeah. Maybe he got it wrong. Wait, what's going on? No, John Crapper literally is like the name of the person who invented the toilet. No. Yes. Look it up. So if someone says I'm going to the Crapper, it's not disgusting. They're saying like his name in homage because when people say that, I find it vile. Yeah. His name is John Crapper. I know. It's one of those, like, you don't know Jack trivia questions. Because it's like, I remember reading a psychology study of, like, people with tooth names end up dentists. Uh, like, that just, you fall into the path. Yeah. So, he was born a Crapper, and he 
lived his life to the fullest. Yeah. Well, that's good to know. So I've heard people like the squatty potty. And I think if you have trouble pooping, apparently it like makes it easier. Um, I also will say as a woman, most toilet seats, we talk about toilet seats a lot on the show. Mm-hmm. Toilet seats are too high. Oh, yeah. Which I find just like uncomfortable in general. And I will say, if you have trouble pooping, you should probably eat more fiber or drink a little coffee. Oh, yeah. No, that's what we usually talk about on these episodes. Instead of like buying more things to try and make yourself feel healthier, it's just do healthier things. Sleep more, eat more fiber, drink more water. And if you want to spend money on like extra accoutrements to feel healthy, like that's on you. But maybe just start with the basics. Yes. Do you ever get people asking you for constipation medicine? Like an emergency. Oh, yeah, I love it. Yeah. Constipation. <laughs> Talking about bowel movements is my specialty. And yeah. When you, get two, when you get two guys alone in a room. Is that what they talk about? I've always wondered. I thought it was sports. Yeah. When two straight men are in a room, or, do they immediately talk about poo? Or cars? Oh, it doesn't matter mm. if we're straight or not. Like, that doesn't even matter. <laughs> really? About, yeah, yeah, it doesn't. It's great. Just uh, talk about poo. That is my favorite thing to talk about <laughs> with guys. And sometimes I will say, like, if it's two guys, they will, they're going to confide and be like, man. I haven't, I haven't shit. I'm sorry. No, you're allowed That's to say Go yeah. for it. Swearing's allowed. But I think the conversation is cool and it's comfortable when it's uh, a couple guys in the room and it could probably change. So, we'll, they'll tell you everything from consistency to what they ate to how much it hurts. So have any of these men much, ever, ever confided about squatty potty use? That one hasn't come up yet. Oh. I just don't, I don't see it happening. I don't know. I, I, I was thinking about it the other day. Um, while I was on the John, I was wondering the John Crapper. <laughs> yeah, like what would my position be like if I wanted to squat in my neighbor's yard? You could yard? try it. That's what I was. Oh, and you're. Your, I was gonna say you could. No, I, that's not what I was gonna say. That he could just it, pull up a bench like? to. Yeah. I don't know. I just. I don't. You were thinking about going to the bathroom in your neighbor's yard. Did your neighbor? Did, did your neighbor cross you? I was wondering what the position would be like. But why yeah. were you thinking about your neighbor's versus yard versus anyone else you knew? Yeah. I just feel like it's it's the ultimate form of disrespect. Okay. Why do you hate your neighbor? No, so th- th- that's our question. What had your neighbor done to deserve such ire? There's, this is a sh- I'm thinking this is probably a short podcast. So <laughs> Wow. A lot. But if you're at that level, there's something serious going on cuz that's pretty that's pretty You're harsh gonna, you're punishment. aggressively mad. Also people would see you. Mm, that's an excellent point. <laughs> I think it's kind of a passive passive gesture. And just drop a pile on their front. No, but then Janie's point right. is like, oh. They see you squatting with your. Yeah, or like, wouldn't somebody. Took yeah, us out. Yeah, it's like the middle of the day. The people are like walking their dogs. They're going to be like, oh, why is this man here, like, with his pants down, squatting in front of somebody's door? <laughs> That's just fun to think about, though. Yeah. Just it's one it's, of those fun daydreams. Thought experiments. Yeah, thought <laughs> no, no one's I heard mean, by you thought. You never thought about it yourselves? I, I no, it never thought about squatting on a neighbor's. Lawn and going like that a neighbor somebody maybe you don't you have never I never go there I always think about how I will become successful and thin mm. and then they'll feel bad but I've never <laughs> thought about actually in harming a, another person I hate confrontation if anything if anything gets above a, like a, a mild voice raise I will run mm. I can't so it's mostly just I think about ways to improve myself and make them feel ha- awful about you know their lack of progress I oh, know I did think of, I did seriously think about keying somebody's car go on recently so this is yes. yeah so 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 so, so this is at my Wait. current Peeing or keying? Key, like K-E-Y. So there's a guy. He was hoping for peeing. Uh, no. No, no, someone offered to pee in the guy's milk. So like a friend of mine who doesn't even live in Los Angeles. So at the. At they the, would fly in for it. At the hospital where I work now, we have a workroom slash doctor's lounge. And several times a week, a, a random old white man w- will come in, uh, you know, and we're doing sign out. Like we're talking to one another. We're doing work things. He will come in, he will turn on the TV, he'll turn on Fox News exceedingly loud. Oh, I hate him. So loud that we are unable to hear each other speak. He will then also pour himself a bowl of cereal, sit in front of the couch with Fox News blaring, and then drink the cereal and the milk directly from the bowl without a spoon. Who is he? So here's the problem is I've mentioned this to like multiple people, and I have like eight people on the case for like, who is this man? What is his job? What, like, How old is he? I'd say he's in like his sixties, and he definitely works there, right? Oh, big time! No, so 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 here, so here is what happened. Oh, and then also he leaves his cereal bowl behind, and he doesn't use a spoon. This no, is- as though his his wife or his mother worked at this hospital. So 
the second time he did this, I was like, I'm over it. Like, this is disrespectful. This is not acceptable. We're trying to do work. Like, we're trying to, like, you know, do patient care things. I'm going to, you know, because also uh, I'm going to pop off. Well, I'm the only white person on my team. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to take my white privilege because these minorities, I don't think that they're confrontational like me. I am afraid of no white man. So I'm going to go up to this guy. And <laughs> or you were probably just didn't want them to get the ire. It was like, I mean, I'm I, using my I, privilege I think in that I way. also am just more easily irritated. I, I would just be careful about the privilege thing. Okay. What kind of cereal is it? Oh, I, I can't tell. It, it was just because they have like mini boxes of cereal. So I go up to the guy. He's watching the TV. Again, it's exceedingly loud. And I say, excuse me, sir. I'm sorry. We're doing sign out right now. Would you mind just turning down the volume on the TV a little bit until we're done? So he said... I cannot hear the sound of the TV over all the chattering that you guys are doing over there. I say, sir. Fox News first. I say, sir, you know, we're, we're working. We're, you know, we're working on um, sign out. He's like, no, I can hear you. Your conversation sounds quite frivolous. To which point I point at the television blaring Fox News. And I, I say, some people would argue that that is quite frivolous. What did he say? He's like, I, I get I get where you're coming from, but I've been coming to this hospital for 40 years and coming into this doctor's lounge. You know what and- you need is some headphones for him, like a Bluetooth <laughs> headphone set or something. Because here's the thing is like people are welcome. Well, so first of all, why are you coming into the lounge to eat cereal and watch TV? I assume you have a TV and cereal at home. Like, why are you coming in and like spending your work hours? Why are you showing up at 730 to do this? Wouldn't you rather just be at home from 730 to 8, eating your own cereal? He does this after work. This is in the morning. In the morning. But like if it's 730 in the morning, I'd rather be sleeping or eating cereal out of my own cereal bowl. So did you key his car? So I don't know who he is. So I don't know which car this is. Yeah. You'll get there. Oh, no. But basically, so then long story short, I'm not used to you people being here in the lounge. Which I think was a dig mm. at like people. He's a, he's a white man. He's a white mm-hmm. man. Uh, and I've been coming here for 40 years to watch TV and eat my cereal. So at the end, he turned the TV down a teeny bit. And when he finished eating, he like slammed his cereal bowl into the garbage. Like you have never heard a louder cereal bowl be tossed into the trash in your entire life. And he left his cafeteria tray behind, even though we're nowhere near the cafeteria, because I guess he thinks that the cafeteria tray fairy is going to come and return it to the cafeteria for him. Yeah, he, he deserves it. Yeah. So that's our answer on the squatty potty. <laughs> It's a good, a good uh, yeah. conclusion for that person who yep. is vulnerable enough to submit. Um, next question. Why is one of my ears always itching? So I hope that this goes into a violent tangent. But I think <laughs> the number one thing I think with ear itching is a contact dermatitis because mm. I have those every dang day. There you I've go. had every contact dermatitis. And if one of your ears is itching, my, th- my thought is that it could be from your pillowcase or something or something you have in your ear. Another option is a bug bite, I would say, is probably suspicious or some like, I don't know, I or a, it could be like shampoo. It could be a lot of things near your head. I mean, I feel like unless there's not bumps, it's just itches. That's I don't know if that's a different thing. I, I think it's like when your palms itch means you're going to get money. I think if your ear itches, it's because someone's going to talk about you or that someone's going to put money in your ear. I will remind you, you are a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> someone's going to put money in your ear. Yeah. Um, Look, pr- pr- prove me wrong. Prove me wrong. Is there any like. I don't know, with, I guess, with itching, do you ever just, do people, I think I've read about this, just a phantom itch that no one can figure out. Big it's, time. That's just so weird. It's just like a neurological thing. Yeah. That's cool. All right. Yeah. And it's really hard to treat is the problem is that, you know, for these sort of like weird skin sensations, even though the symptoms are very real, um, because you can't find like a particular thing on a biopsy. These sort of like small fiber neuropathies, as they might. Would work. there be a topical treatment for it? Would you put on like a cordade? Would that work for something like that? Sometimes, or sometimes people might use like a capsaicin, like a spicy pepper cream. So it's one of those things that you put on like uh, an osteoarthritic joint to almost like confuse the nerves. Oh, weird! Is the way that I would explain it to the patients. Or Kevin, if you have a better spiel that you use, uh, feel free. They're like, oh, if you've got all this pain in your joint or this like odd sensation on your skin. The capsaicin is just made up of like tiny, tiny, like crushed up hot peppers. Oh. And so you put that on your skin. And so then those like pain fibers it, start like, firing. It diverts it. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, and next question. I quit my job where healthcare was provided. And while I'm not sure where I'll be headed next, I'm unsure of what to do about healthcare. And that's, yeah, that's it. I mean, I, this one, 
I related to because when I left my job, I was shocked that for Cobra, it would be $500 a month. Crazy. And then I started looking at the insurance options and they're all in the hundreds. Like it's crazy. And for me now to be a freelancer paying for my own insurance in California on the marketplace, I have the lowest, worst insurance is $225 a month. It's like horrible insurance I don't even use. I just pay out of pocket for like everything else. So I don't know what to tell this person because it's really really crappy like it's a horrible i mean i will say that that was a really nice thing about working at the va is that everyone had health insurance and you knew what everyone's health insurance uh covered that working now out in the private sector like i do and we've talked about this just like how much more difficult it is to arrange follow-up and take like the best possible care of people who don't have insurance i mean it's, it's it must be nice kevin that like everyone who's coming in even if it's for an emergency or whatnot that you know whatever medication that you're going to prescribe generally they're all able to afford it and that you know it's not even like a conversation and that yeah. everyone has a primary Anybody care who needs a ct or an mri there's no question about it exactly and that everyone but it's, yeah yeah but it's not realistic either i don't think that's the unfortunate thing yeah uh, I, I saw in the outline um it's a such a difficult question I think if any of us had the answer to it, it's a tr- it's a trillion dollar question. Yeah, uh, because I think there's obviously lots of I don't know. Uh, just I mean, just to chime in, I don't I I thought about it a lot. Um, I've thought about it before. You guys had the question. It's it's difficult. Uh, there's the element of self accountability as like anything is huge. Uh, the element of abuse is huge, mm-hmm. and then just. Yeah, but I'm, I think it's amazing. Like, I just had a family member that needed an MRI that's, you know, had health insurance their whole life that uh, now is retired but not old enough to qualify for, you know, work their whole life, but retired maybe a couple of years early, can't af- is not on Medicare and mm-hmm. not old enough. And to get an MRI for, like, back pain, mm-hmm. like, next to impossible. Yeah. And, and, uh, me, and meanwhile, right at the VA, it was one the of VA, yeah, you would, well, at, at the VA, you were required to get an MRI before you could send anyone to the pain clinic. Right. So, yeah. so, so I mean, and so whether or not it was even evidence based for the majority of those patients, the VA was just like, well, we're going to pay for them for everybody because this is what the anesthesiologist or whomever made that determination. They just said, this is, we're just paying for this very expensive screening test for every single person that we see. It's totally awesome. And yeah. there's no a doubt, like, the veterans deserve that. You won't ever hear a news story about that, though. True. I mean, the VA does get a lot of negative criticism, but, like, there is, like, a lot of, like, platinum-based care that takes place, in my, in my mm-hmm. opinion. Maybe you've seen otherwise, but I think there's, there is a lot of No, good. but, I mean, like, look, if you're coming in with a heart attack, like, the VA right. will reverse your heart attack, right? Like, that is, they've got the whole process streamlined, like, door-to-balloon time. Right. They've got that down. Right, yeah. Yeah, and an amazing cath, yeah, cath facilities when when there are people working there and like, <laughs> in, uh, and, and but at the same time, if they can't do it, they're gonna make sure you get transferred, true, you know, to a, a local hospital that can do it for you, and they will foot that bill. So mm-hmm. that's pretty cool. So like, I was thinking about this because it, it does suck. I think I wish I wish that so many people could get that same care. To be honest with you, but I don't know what the answer is. Yeah. If it's having a, if it is having a nationalized system, or I don't know, a little bit of both, because sometimes the private sector is a little more advanced too. I mean, I guess the big drama that we would see the public-private sector divide are people who needed or wanted like organ transplants, like kidney transplants, for example, because you can live forever on dialysis, like you don't need a kidney transplant. Your quality of life is poor. Your life expectancy is shorter, but the VA, because they try and, you know, they try and centralize some of these more specialized services, you can only get an organ transplant at like three or four, like a kidney transplant on like under 10 VAs in the country. And so the amount of paperwork and bureaucracy they would make you go through was quite arduous. So oftentimes it felt like the nephrologists, the kidney doctors were oftentimes just telling people, oh, if you have private insurance, just go through your private insurance to get this kidney transplant instead. Yeah. Makes sense. What do you... What do you think about? Uh, sorry, I'll shut up. No, go for it. So, uh, some things like so, some things like in terms of like nationalized healthcare um, that are, from what I've heard, from problems from many physicians and from institutions is like, like um, 
you know, CMS will be like, yo, we're not paying for that because this person got readmitted within so, so, such amount of days. Like it's on you when like, you know that there are certain patients both in that are civilians and veterans that are going to be like, you know what? I'm feeling better. I'm going to go out and I'm going to drink and I'm going to get wasted and smoke. Yeah. And then I'm going to come right back to the hospital. I'm not going to take into my medicines. And then you have a federal system that says, Hey, I'm not paying you for that. Even though it was a Medicaid patient, I'm not going to reimburse you for that because they got, they got admitted too quickly. Like that's kind of, I mean, but we would always joke around about that in the VA, even in the outpatient setting that some of like your performance metrics, like your bonuses were based on, Oh, did you get X percent of your patients with diabetes to get like their blood sugars below with their certain yeah. threshold or like, you know, are people like come into their appointments? And these are things that like we would be like, well, look, we have no control over it. I can't go to everyone's house and like knock the Doritos out of their hand and like inject the insulin into their stomach when they're not looking like it doesn't work that way. But yeah. I mean, oh, ultimately, though, I one of my mentors uh, in college and med school was like a big proponent of the single payer healthcare system. So I basically drank all of his Kool-Aid. And uh, so my personal preference would just be, especially because working at the VA, it was just so nice to work in an integrated healthcare system that, you know, you could arrange PCP follow-up. You could tell who everyone's cardiologist was. Also, the VA is like, was like one of the like revolutionaries of electronic medical records. And so the amazing thing about the VA is that all of the, all of that stuff is linked nationally. So if you go to Atlanta and you say, oh shoot, I'm out of my medicine, the pharmacist in the ER can look up your records from whatever other city you live in and say, oh, here's all of your medicines. Here's when you last saw your doctor. Like we can, we see all your blood work. We can get everything all set up for you. Got it. Which is super cool. Unfortunately, that system is actually uh, antique now. Yeah. That's why they're doing the conversion. Well, eventually. Oh yeah, they're like commercializing it or something. I don't know. I I saw something on Reddit. They're going to be converting to Cerner by 2020. Um, so unfortunately, even though that system, when it came out was top of the line, yeah. um, I think because the, and you have to fact check me on this one, but the main thing is that they want to integrate the department of defense with oh. the VA. Hmm. So, because right now, as you know, maybe you remember, like there's a little bit of, a. It's they're not integrated. Right. No, right. The, yeah. You could, if anyone who needed their defense records had to go to a whole other thing, we couldn't see any of that stuff. Yeah. But the ability to pull up a patient that you could know, like if your sister moved from Chicago to California and the physician she's seeing in California could just like pull up all her records from Chicago, yeah. through everything, no, be awesome. And, and on the flip side too, like why should somebody, why should somebody like your sister who's healthy but is concerned that something could happen at any time. Be worrying about like right. these head costs just because you don't have a full time job at that moment in time. Like that just doesn't seem fair or right. Fair yeah. or morally right. That, yeah. uh, it's a whole. You know that it's a very complicated. Yeah. Very complicated question. Yeah. It's very not complicated. Right, right? No. That's true. Um, so moving on to hysteria. So we're going to talk about something that's getting news traction on some level and talk about the deal. Um, The Food and Drug Administration reports that prescriptions for testosterone supplements have risen Mm. to 2.3 million from 1.3 million in just four years. And the promise of these, of testosterone is that it'll make you feel more youthful and have more vigor. Um, But there's a lot of controversy around it and how much it actually affects people. And I was reading a study that it does some really bad things too. Like it, um, more testosterone makes you like, overconfident and it makes you a little reckless. I was like, going to say it's also going to give you a heart attack and cause prostate cancer. Right, because you're just like... Or accelerate the growth Accelerating, of that kind of thing. So, and a hairy back. Probably a hairy oh, back. Oh, that's true. Oh, a hairy back? Hairy back. Do people who just have naturally more testosterone tend to have hairier backs in general? And is there truth... This is my question. There's like a myth that bald men have more testosterone. Right. Is that true? I don't know the answer to that, honestly, offhand. I'm sorry. If, if men are bald, they have more testosterone? Yeah, that's what more heard. androgenized. I, I think baldness has got genetic components mm-hmm. to it as well. Go deep um, that. Maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> Ellen could definitely trump me on that yeah, one. Yeah, no, I don't. I'm not sure. I would say when you're, whenever you're messing with hormones, uh, and especially when you're messing with uh, an anabolic uh, steroid, so to speak, uh, like 
there's a lot of unknowns, uh, and it's very systemic. It can affect so many things, and um, I, I think it's a. I think Ellen kind of alluded to this earlier. Like you can't negate uh, lifestyle changes, but that I mean that that clip, that term is probably like no one wants to well, hear it. No, and I, I think you bring up a good point because uh, a lot of these. Uh, like I've had experience with a lot of patients who come in, oh, I have no energy, I'm, I'm fatigued, whatever, and then they're morbidly obese, and you check their testosterone levels, and when you have a lot of excess adipose tissue, it like converts What's testosterone. What's adipose tissue? Oh, fat. When you're like real fat, all that extra fat, it converts testosterone into estrogen. If you're female or male, it's the same True. thing? But, but these are men who were coming in saying that they like didn't have any Wait, can energy. You, can you just back up? So if oh. you have excess... Adipose, fat. Adipose, that... Does what? It converts te- basically testosterone into estrogen. I see. So these male patients I would see. come in and say, oh, I saw a commercial for low T. Can you check my testosterone I see. Level? And you're like, there's other things and that then, are factoring look, it. you would check their levels. They would come in at the low end of normal. But, you know, is this a primary testosterone deficiency where their body's not making enough testosterone? Or right. what's called a secondary testosterone deficiency where there's something else going on in the hormone pathway that's leading their testosterone level to be low so then the question was okay like ideally right you would just urge these guys to just like lose weight like kevin's talking about lifestyle change stop eating garbage get more exercise etc but you know some some people even endocrinologists would argue the opposite that like look if their testosterone level is low and it's making them feel tired and poorly all the time maybe given that um, that extra testosterone boost will give them some more energy and get them to the gym. But it's a delicate balance because taking extra testosterone is also going to potentially have a lot of negative right. consequences. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. My nickname in high school was uh, was Lamb Slab. Oh, my God. Uh-oh. It took me a long time to figure it out, but it's actually small balls spelled backwards. Oh, my <laughs> God. Wait. Okay. So, yeah, Lamb Slab. Was this from, like... Guys who saw you in the locker room, or that's a true story. Well, was it was it like, hey, we got a fun new nickname for you? (laughs) Wait, but Lamb and Slab each only have one L, and both of those. It took me, it took me, I think, six months of horrible lunches uh, (laughs) to figure out that. Yeah, some. I think one of my friends was actually feeling sorry for me. He was like, "Dude, it's small balls, small." Spell backwards. <laughs> Just, I gotta break it to you. It's been fun to watch you suffer. We didn't. You gotta let you know. I am still mad that this is grammatically. This is spelling wise. You're wrong. gonna have to deal with the it. The double L sitch. It's gonna. Yes. Somebody with a double L in her name. You know, I take that very seriously. All right. When we call you small balls, we'll use both <laughs> letters. <laughs> Well, I hope that the bad... It's true. All of the lambs. The lambs. <laughs> um, well, I hope that the bad way of pharmacy or pharmaceuticals has usurped that and now you'll be free of that title but um oh, yes yeah oh no the, testosterone. Yeah. i don't know do yeah. they shrink ellen i can't remember yeah the, yeah no that's right that's one of those things they say about bodybuilders well especially right because <laughs> the job of your testicles is to like make testosterone so if you're getting a bunch of exogenous outside testosterone right the part of your body that makes it it's no shakaroo it's gonna like not have to work as hard and therefore get smaller yeah that's why they called it you that because you ha- were high testosterone you were so manly very, that's very, right you know like yeah. strong but, like this guy's so so masculine he must be on exogenous testosterone that's what they were thinking yeah yeah and so you, you know you're welcome um <laughs> So thank you so much. Yeah, I mean, I know about uh, yeah. You know, only only thing I was thinking about too, and I don't know if uh, if you guys have talked about this before, but um, I if, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the United States and New Zealand are the only countries that allow pharmaceutical companies to uh, advertise direct to consumer advertising. Uh, right, that's true. Consumer yeah. advertising, which yeah. is you know. It's kind of weird Spirit. that they do, if you think yeah. about it. Because it's just like, it'll be like Nexium, the purple because, pill. People because, remember. Because also, but... they never advertise for like generic drugs. They're never like, well, what oh, I, what I'm saying is, they sell you this like an image of a person walking in a field. You don't know anything about what the drug is. Correct. And I'm surprised it works because I can't believe there are actually people who go, oh, I saw this ad and I'm going to ask my doctor. And about I it. also don't know who these doctors are who are like, oh, if you just want the medication you saw off the TV, even though there's like four or five options that are cheaper and just as effective, who are these providers who it's are like, strange. oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to write you for like the most expensive drug in the universe. Um, yeah. But thank you so much for being on the pod. We're going to wrap it up because we, we could talk all day. We could talk <laughs> drugs all day. With I, have, I have a really good story about 
about testicles, but uh, for another we'll save it for next time for round two. Wait, yeah. <laughs> Sounds good. We'll have an all testicle episode, and yeah. you'll be the main guest. It'll yeah, I guess testicles and like uh, you know fecal issues. You'll be our guesticle. All right, so thank you so much <laughs> for being on today. You've been great. If you have any questions, <laughs> listener, please call one eight four four Stole RX and uh, stay tuned for more relatively healthy. Thanks for listening. Thanks. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Joe Cilio, Alex Ramsey, and Brett Boehm. For more podcasts, please visit foreverdogproductions.com.